Beloved, if you'd please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our series uh, in uh, this Gospel. Uh, And uh, this evening we are in chapter 2 and beginning in verse 23, we will uh, read from there to chapter 3 and verse 6 as we uh, continue on in our study uh, of this Gospel. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. Please hear the word of God. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Thus far, the reading of God's word, would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for uh, these passages teaching us about the ministry of Christ and the Sabbath. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us a right understanding and application of the Sabbath day. And may you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. When our kids were little, I would go into their room on Saturday nights as they were getting ready for bed or perhaps were already in bed, and I'd say, what day is it tomorrow? And they'd say, Sunday. I said, what else do we call it? The Lord's Day. Oh, what else do we call it? The Christian Sabbath. This day is like no other day. This is the high day of the Christian's week. It is something that has been lost on the modern church. Of course, we have uh, considered this uh, somewhat recently uh, in this church. But again, we come to these passages uh, amidst the conflict narratives at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark where Christ is having these conflicts with the religious leaders, and we are brought to this theme of the Sabbath in our passages for this evening. The Sabbath day is like no other day. The Sabbath day is to be separated, it is to be sanctified, it is to be a day of rest in the Lord and a day of focus upon uh, the Lord. It is a mark of Christian discipleship. Um, uh, it has, of course, been lost in the modern uh, church. Even in 
the Reformed Church, where we have a very strong, robust, confessional uh, formula or definition of the Sabbath that we claim to hold to as Reformed churches. And so this evening, as we come to this subject, uh, for some it will be a review and a refresher. For others, it might be new. But my hope and my prayer uh, for you as your pastor is that this day would indeed be uh, a day of discipleship, a day of worship, a day that's different. That's, it's a day that's not, it's not that Sunday or the Lord's Day is sort of Saturday with church in the morning, uh, with the rest of the day to be spent in ordinary activities of entertainment and everything else under the sun. Uh, there have been many institutions and entities uh, that have been trying to make this day about whatever it is they're selling. But this day, the day that Christ rose from the dead, is the day that Christians have been gathering uh, since the day that Christ rose from the dead, on the first day of the week. Now, uh, there's too much to think about and to consider as it concerns the Lord's Day, but I do want to touch upon a few things uh, connected to the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath, uh, as it is called, uh, before we dive into our text for this evening. The first thing we want to recognize, and this is under five headings, five headings, uh, the first thing that we understand about uh, the Jewish Sabbath, which also, of course, has, uh, is related to the Christian Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath uh, was established, number one, established and exemplified by God at creation. It was established by God at creation, and it was exemplified by God at creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. God finished creating the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, uh, some of you were sharing with me earlier that uh, after uh, the full morning here at the church and then the fellowship meal and the cleaning up and the moving chairs and all that, you went home and you kicked your feet up and you took a nap. Oh, it's wonderful. Sunday afternoon nap, right? Who doesn't, who doesn't like that? We rest. We rest because we get tired. God does not rest because he gets tired. God rested on the seventh day as a model for us to show us that this day is a day of rest from work. Six days of work, one day of rest. And that day of rest will have definition to it, as we will see as it develops over the course of redemptive history. The Sabbath at creation is what theologians call a creation ordinance. A creation ordinance. What does that mean? Well, we see that woven into the very fabric of the creation order are three things that really establish creation and life and order in the world. What are they? Well, God gave Adam work to do. Okay? Work's a pretty central part of life, right? He said to Adam, uh, you have dominion over the garden, and he named the animals, 
and he took care of the garden. This was his work. So work is a creation ordinance established by God. What's another one? Marriage. Marriage is a creation ordinance established by God between one man and one woman. And so we have the establishment of marriage. And then we have the Sabbath. Worship. It is a part of the very fabric of creation. And so here's the thing. When you undermine work, marriage, and worship of the true and living God, you undermine and you tear apart the very fabric of what God himself has instituted for the world, for order and blessing in the world. You want to know why our culture is in complete chaos today? It's because of these very things. Why it never has been perfect in our context in America, of course it has not. But here's the thing. We see this disorder and removing and, 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 and tearing apart of the very fabric of the creation order by people in our culture today, and it's causing moral chaos as well as all other kinds of chaos. So, along with work and marriage, the Sabbath is built into the very fabric of God's create, creative order. Secondly, uh, the Sabbath is commanded in the Ten Commandments. It's a part of the Decalogue. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to what? To keep it holy. It doesn't say remember Monday to keep it holy. Or remember the midweek to keep it holy. It's the Sabbath day. Yes, we worship the Lord every day in a more informal way. But we are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It is to be separate, set apart from other days of the week. And by the way, we still hold to the Ten Commandments and not the Nine Commandments. We believe in the Ten, at least we should. Thirdly, the Sabbath day is a day to worship God, our Creator and our Redeemer. Where were Christ and his disciples on the Sabbath in Mark 1, verse 21? They were in the synagogue. Where were they in chapter 3 in verse 1? They were in the synagogue to attend public worship. Where was Paul on the Sabbath during his preaching ministry? He was in the synagogues for the reading and preaching of Scripture, prayer and the singing of psalms and instruction for public worship. We have Acts 13.42, Acts 13.44, the first day of the week. They were there on the Sabbath to worship. It was a day ordained by God for the Jews to rest from their, from their labors during the week and to focus their hearts upon the Lord. It marks out Christians. It's a part of our discipleship. We are a people who are baptized into the name of Christ, who are members of the body of Christ, and who keep the Sabbath day. Fourthly, it's a day, as I just mentioned, it's a day that marked them as the people of God. So that's a, a major point there. Along with the sign and seal of circumcision, the keeping of the Sabbath was a badge identifying them as God's people. How was Israel distinguished from the pagan nations around them? Well, they worshiped the true and living God and they kept the Sabbath. There were other things, but that was a major thing. They were a different, a separate, a peculiar people because of their commitment and obedience to the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Israelites were a people who marched to the beat of a different drum than that of the world, at least 
when they were walking with the Lord. Fifthly, the Sabbath is meant to be a day not of drudgery, but of joy and delight. It's meant to be a day of joy and delight. Listen to Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride in the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So it's a holy day. It's a day that we call a delight, the holy day of the Lord, which we seek to honor. And so this day is meant to be a day of great joy and delight for God's redeemed people. So we want to keep these things in mind when we think about the Old Testament Sabbath that Christ and his disciples were in the context of in these passages. So the Sabbath was a day established and exemplified by God at creation, part of the creation order. It was a day commanded by God in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. It's a day set apart to offer concentrated worship to God, a day that marked Jews out as the people of God. It was kind of a, a badge of, of belonging and, and uh, 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 belonging and uh, authenticity, as it were, and then it was a day of joy and delight. With these things in mind, then, let's look at our passage in chapter 2 beginning in verse 23 23 through 27 here we see the first sabbath confrontation look with me at verse 26 jesus and his disciples were walking through some grain fields and they began picking ripened heads of grain the pharisees saw them and questioned jesus on the conduct of his followers Jesus was such a godly leader, once again, just like before, why were his disciples not fasting? We uh, considered that last time. Now here, if Jesus was such a great leader, why uh, were he and his disciples doing this? Why were they uh, blatantly doing what was not lawful on the Sabbath? The fact was, however, the disciples were not breaking God's law concerning the Sabbath. They were only breaking the burdensome and rigid laws that the pharisaical tradition had created. Remember, you had God's law, and then you had all the laws or traditions around God's law to help God's people to obey God's law. And that is what Jesus and his disciples were were breaking. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not pluck a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. The religious leaders interpreted the disciples' action as work on the Sabbath according to their legalistic, man-made traditions, even though the law of God gave the disciples the freedom to do what they were doing. These pharisaical traditions and laws were the old garments and the old wineskins that Christ spoke of in verses 18 through 22. The old garments and wineskins could not contain the true interpretation of the law and the gospel of grace through Christ. You see, in order to ensure strict Sabbath-keeping, the pharisaical tradition 
had created, now listen to this, they had created no less than 1,529 laws governing conduct on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day. 1,529 laws governing conduct on the Sabbath day. Imagine that. You know, you come back for your interview to join Christ Church and say, oh, by the way, we forgot to mention, here are the laws surrounding the way you will act when you come to Christ Church. <laughs> Just a couple thousand laws. But they're really going to help you to obey God's law. It's essentially what was going on here. One commentator explains it this way. Listen to this, quote, Forbidden were such trivial activities as unfastening a button, leaving milk to curdle, lest the milk work, or lifting more weight than a single dried fig. One was not allowed to comfort the sick or cheer the sorrowful or even wipe a wound. One might work to preserve the life of an Israelite, but not a pagan or a Samaritan. End quote. Can you imagine the burden of this placed upon you and your family? Imagine the burden of trying to remember, let alone carry out, such an extensive list of do's and don'ts. What is interesting is the response that Christ gives in verse 25, not one that we would expect. He takes the Pharisees to 1 Samuel chapter 21 in verses 1 through 6 and reminds them of the story of King David and his men eating the showbread of the temple while in hiding from King Saul who was trying to kill them. One can learn about the meaning of the showbread in Exodus chapter 25. We would have read this just a couple of months ago in our evening readings the showbread consisted of 12 loaves of bread placed upon a table uh, overlaid with gold the table was located in the holy place just a short distance from the holy of holies the 12 loaves of bread represented the 12 tribes of israel and symbolized the constant fellowship that god had with his people Indeed, the bread symbolized that the Israelites were guests at God's table and were set apart as his people. An important point here is that the bread was to be replaced with 12 fresh loaves every Sabbath and could only be eaten by the high priests and Levites. This is spelled out in Leviticus 24, 8 and 9. The point of this story is not that David and his men did these things on the Sabbath, we don't know what day it was. The point of Christ telling this story is this. Please hear this. If David, his men, and the high priest had the right to ignore a divinely inspired command for the sake of necessity, i.e. hunger, then how much more could Christ and his disciples ignore the man-made laws of the Pharisees and lawfully pluck grain on the sabbath in other words the hair-splitting legalism of the pharisees in regard to the sabbath day destroyed the true meaning and intention of the sabbath i'm afraid if i can pause here for a moment and say that so often christians will dismiss the sabbath altogether 
because of false interpretations and practices of the Sabbath, legal, legalisms connected to the Sabbath, which people will impose, so as to say, well, I don't like that, and so I'm going to dismiss the whole concept of the Sabbath altogether, thus holding to the nine commandments rather than the ten. And ignoring verses like verse 27 in our text, which says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see the point here? The Pharisees, through their legalistic tradition and man-made laws, had made man a slave to an overbearing taskmaster called the Sabbath. But as Christ said here, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath man you know in the highlands of scotland you have a kind of pure presbyterianism as it were uh, and lots of zeal to do things right uh, to follow the westminster confession and the sabbath day uh, is held in very high esteem but in some respects uh, there were um uh, ideas about the application of the Sabbath day that could move into the realm of uh, legalisms for some. Uh, we have a, uh, some friends who were sharing with us a bit of a, uh, a fun story, funny story, uh, about how when they would get home after church, uh, they, the kids were and the parents were so afraid of not following the Sabbath as they ought that everyone just put on their pajamas and went into their rooms and just sort of laid around in their beds till the evening service. Uh, you know, put on your jammies, go to bed. That way we won't break anything as it concerns the Sabbath. Um, another friend of mine shared a story that when he left the free church after the service, he was walking down the street uh, whistling uh, one of the tunes of one of the psalms that they had sung during the service and an older man uh, uh, an elderly man said, Son, there is no whistling on the Sabbath. These kinds of things can make people want to run from the whole idea of Sabbath when we should be delighting in the Sabbath because when we delight in the Sabbath, we delight in God. If we are keeping the Sabbath holy. These legalistic traditions and man-made laws can make man a slave to an overbearing kind of Sabbath day. But as Christ said here, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath day is a servant of mankind given to him by God in order that he might have physical and spiritual refreshment and a concentrated time of delighting in God. Jesus brought out the true meaning of the Sabbath day. The reason he could do this is because he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And incidentally, we know that in Genesis 2, we have the establishment of the Sabbath by whom? Who established the Sabbath? God. Christ here calls himself what? Lord of the Sabbath. Here is a clear testimony, indication from Christ's own lips that he is indeed divine. Let's look at the second Sabbath confrontation 
in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. This is probably a a completely different day. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1 states that Christ entered a synagogue and a man was present there with a withered hand. In verse 2, the religious leaders were standing by watching Jesus, waiting to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. They were waiting to get him. It was a true gotcha moment. Again, like the plucking of the grain, this healing was not a transgression of the law of God. In the strict tradition of the Pharisees, one could not be cared for medically unless the person's life was at risk. Knowing that the Pharisees were filled with hatred and had the intention of killing him, Jesus asked a rhetorical question. Is it it right on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Christ looked around at the Pharisees. He was obviously not pleased with them. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and unwillingness to do what is right. He then commanded the man with the withered hand to stretch out his hand, and he stretched it out. The Scripture says his hand was restored. Complete healing. No need for checkups at Capernaum General. He was healed. And this healing, as with all of Christ's healings during his public ministry, was not to center his whole ministry and focus on some kind of mercy and healing ministry. Christ came to proclaim the gospel, to fulfill the requirements of the law, to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins, to proclaim the kingdom. The healing ministry was, yes, with compassion, yes, with love for those who had various illnesses, but ultimately it was a preview of what was to come. Because Christ could have spent his entire ministry walking around healing people, setting up a tent and just healing people all day long. He didn't do that. But the healings were a preview of what would finally come when Christ returned, when all who are in him would be completely healed and ushered into glory. Instead of rejoicing in this miraculous work of Christ, the Pharisees were furious and formed an unholy alliance with the wicked and worldly followers of Herod Antipas. He ruled as, Herod ruled as Tetrarch of Galilee from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. You remember he was the one who was responsible for murdering John the Baptist, cutting off his head, and also was involved in the trial of Jesus during the Passion Week. It was through this wicked union of two parties, one religious and one political, that a a conspiracy began to figure out how they might destroy Jesus. This is often what happens, of course, when persecution breaks out. You have an unholy alliance between political and religious authorities that are both corrupt. And then here we see the commencement of Christ's road to Calvary. What is it then that we can learn from these two confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees? How do these questions concerning the Sabbath day concern us? Well, first of all, first of all, we learn that the true meaning and intention of the Sabbath day still applies today. It still applies today. Remembering the Sabbath day is not only for the Old Testament people of Israel, it applies to us also. Many today claim that the fourth commandment did not transition from the old covenant to the new covenant context. This kind of thinking is rooted in dispensationalism. It's a a system of theology that emerged in the late 19th century, which does 
great damage to the continuity of the Word of God and the history of redemption. To be sure, the laws attached to the Sabbath in terms of the ceremonial law and the civil law have been abrogated at Christ's coming. It is clear that no longer are we members of a physical nation of Israel, but a spiritual nation of Israel. And no longer do we hold to the ceremonies of the temple, which are all fulfilled in the one whom they foreshadowed, namely Jesus Christ. But the moral aspect of the law still remains. Ceremonial law, abrogated in Christ. Civil law, abrogated in Christ. We are no longer a physical nation. We are a spiritual nation in Christ. And so we have the moral law still in force. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The moral obligation of keeping the Sabbath day holy is still in force. Do you remember the five things I mentioned earlier about the true meaning and intention of the Sabbath for the Jews? Well, they are no different for us. It's a day established by God and exemplified by God at creation. He creates the Sabbath day. He sanctifies the Sabbath day. And he himself rests from his work on the Sabbath day. It's a day commanded by God in the Decalogue. It's, uh, it's the fourth commandment. Yeah, thirdly, it's a day set apart to offer concentrated worship to God. Fourthly, it's a day that marked the Jews as the people of God. And today it marks Christians, along with baptism, as a badge of belonging and authenticity in Christ. It's a day of joy and delight. What a blessing it is to be together as the people of God. I think about uh, how this morning, you know, we're, we're together here all, all morning, uh, hearing God's word read, hearing God's word preached, singing together. How many people in the world get together and sing? It's so rare in the world today. It's what Christians do. Christians sing. We we love to sing because we love to praise God. We love to be together as one people. We, we love to fellowship with one another in the presence of our loving Heavenly Father. It's, it's, what, it's what we do. It's, it's the delight and joy of our, of our hearts. The second thing that we learn from this teaching is that man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. We, we touched on this earlier, of course. God has not given us over to a cruel taskmaster called the Sabbath day to make our lives miserable one day out of the week. Rather, God has blessed us with an entire day every week to rest from our ordinary labors and entertainments and delight our hearts in Him. A day to rest from our common weekly labors and chores and spend time with our family and Christian friends and public family and private worship of God. What if I told you right now that I was going to provide you with one day a week where you were free from doing any yard work or scrubbing floors or being part of stressful meetings at work or washing clothes or running a bunch of errands, uh, an entire day to just focus on the Lord and to be still and to know that He is God and, and to worship Him and to spend time with God's people and to be rejuvenated and renewed in body and soul and joyful delight in God 
for one day, an entire day. Well, the good news is God has provided it. He has given this to you. It's a gift as well as a command. God knows you need it. He knows that we need this rest from our ordinary labors and we need weekly spiritual renewal, a concentrated time to recalibrate, to refocus, to reboot our hearts upon our greatest priority, namely God and his word. Thirdly, we learn here that the Sabbath day can bring about sinful misinterpretation. Rather than seeing the Lord's day as a gift from God, we are prone to come down on one of two extremes. Imagine that, coming down on one of two extremes. That's how it is so often with these things. There are two ditches, and oftentimes Christians are falling into one or the other. And, and I, I want to communicate these two ditches as the two L's. The two L's. The first one is legalism. Like the Pharisees, we like to turn to rules and commandments that are meant to help us delight in God into a sophisticated, self-made list of do's and don'ts. We, we want to take something good and we want to turn it into a sophisticated list of do's and don'ts. And then we want to compare ourselves with other people in the church that are or are not doing these list of do's and don'ts. And we may not have been doing these do's and don'ts until about a week ago, but everybody around us that aren't doing what we're doing now are all bad in comparison to us. This is the way... Christians do it when they're not centered on the gospel. But many who claim to keep the Sabbath are less focused upon God and Christian fellowship and more focused upon rule-keeping and looking down on others who don't have the same convictions that they do, the same ways of applying it. Our goal this evening is not to create a list of do's and don'ts about what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath. Rather, it's about experiencing greater communion and fellowship with God and his people through the exercising of duty and delight on the day that God himself has called holy. But safe to say it's not legalism that plagues the modern church when it comes to the Sabbath. It is the other L, licentiousness or moral license. This is the opposite extreme to legalism, an attitude of indifference. Uh, to the law of God, a careless mindset that is more concerned with self and with comfort and with worldliness than with God, his word, and his people. Very few give any thought to changing their lives when it comes in conflict with their way of doing things, their pattern of doing things. You remember in our passage, Christ looked with great indignation upon the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts because they were unwilling to change their ways. This passage really begs a question of us this evening. Is Christ looking upon hard hearts, hearts unwilling to look honestly at his word and respond to it in joyful obedience, even if it means changing the ways that things have been done in our lives for some time? And that brings up an important point. None of us have ever kept the Sabbath or observed the Sabbath as we ought. None of us. We all fail. On our best Sabbaths, we have failed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have failed to love God as we ought on the Sabbath day. We have failed to keep the Sabbath day. Every one of us in this room 
have caught, gotten caught up from time to time in patterns of doing things and, and uh, getting focused on things on the Lord's Day that we, if we sat back and evaluated, we say, you know, I really have let that kind of become a thing on the Sabbath day, and that thing can stop. I can take care of whatever, whatever that is the day before. And we're going to talk in just a moment about some of those things. But we do learn from our passage that the Sabbath or Lord's Day still applies today. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not made, uh, 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 the man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made uh, for man. Fourthly, we learn that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and not us. Although the Sabbath or Lord's Day was made for man, that does not mean that we are free to do whatever we please on the Lord's Day. Jesus Christ, both Son of God and Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. And at creation, he established it. He established it to be set apart as holy, not to be a day like any other day. And so as we approach the Lord's Day, we need to ask what is and what is not appropriate on the Lord's Day. And we learn from Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, that there are essentially three kinds of work that fit within the jurisdiction of the fourth commandment, namely works of piety, works of mercy, and works of necessity. Works of piety, works of mercy, and works of necessity. What are works of piety? Well, worship. Devotions, public worship, family worship. It's works of piety. How about works of mercy? Well, there are a whole span of things that we could consider, but the most obvious ones are hospitals. Imagine if all the doctors and nurses said, well, it's the Sabbath, see ya. See you on Monday. Take care of yourselves. Um, obviously not going to, to, to happen. There are works of mercies. There are certain kinds of positions that require work on the Sabbath day. And then works of necessity. Um, it's the ox in the ditch uh, principle. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're walking out the door to church and a pipe bursts, you don't say, well, we need to get to church. Just leave it. And you come back and your house is flooded and destroyed. No, no, this is a work of necessity. You, you do what you need to do to, to fix the pipe and you may be missing worship. You may be uh, trying to fix that for the rest of the day. Um, we always want to improve upon our observance of the Sabbath, not focusing on a set of rules and do's and don'ts as much as trying to make it as much of a positive, God-centered day as possible. Does that make sense? It's not about rules. It's not about how many steps you can take or, or what you may or may not be able to whistle as you walk down the street. It's about making it a day sanctified to the Lord, a day that is centered on the Lord and on our souls and discipleship. Uh, we want to be intentional about certain things so that on Saturday we get certain things done so that Sunday doesn't become junk time day. Uh, a friend of mine once used that. It was very helpful. Where do we have our junk time? Uh, does, our, does Sunday become junk time day? Uh, where we take care of all these loose ends that we just didn't take care of on Friday and Saturday because we always leave them until then. We can be purposeful so that the day of the Lord becomes focused and not uh, scattered and distracted. Uh, this is a day of discipleship, a day 
of spiritual blessing and, and growth and fellowship with God and his people. We want to be intentional uh, with that. So the, the right question to ask is not, what am I allowed to do on the Lord's Day, but rather, what can I do to make the Lord's Day a day where my soul the souls of my family and the souls of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are nourished and renewed in Christ. It's a big difference there. Fifthly, we learn that the Lord's Day reminds us of God's faithfulness in the past, the present, and the future. Uh, in the past, we already have seen this, that God rested and proclaimed that all he made was good on the seventh day of creation. Uh, Genesis 1.31, he reminds us to meditate on the Sabbath day of what he did in creating the world in six days and how he sustains all things by the word of his power, Hebrews chapter 1. And so the prelude of the Ten Commandments said, I have freed you from Egypt, now obey these commandments. God shows us that he is our Savior, and so in him now we live. And so we ought to unbegrudgingly obey his commandments, for God's power shown in the deliverance of Israel from Pharaoh was a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. And so on the Sabbath day, we remember the past. We also remember the present. Each Sabbath day is a weekly celebration and remembrance of the redemptive and completed work of Christ on our behalf. Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and that's why we have the transition from Saturday to Sunday, as it were, from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. And we see this first day of the week in Acts 20, as God's people gathered on the first day of the week. And in Revelation, the Apostle John states that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. As God's people gather each Lord's Day, it's a reminder to the church and to the world around us that we are a different people, a people who are set apart and set apart to the Lord, just like the Sabbath day is. And we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is not a normal day. This is a holy day. This is a holy time. And so we come to the Lord's Day thinking of the past, what God has done, thinking of the present, what he is doing, and thinking about the future because this day is meant to be a foretaste of the future Sabbath. Hebrews, all over Hebrews, we have this teaching that there is yet to be a Sabbath for the people of God and it's that perfect Sabbath. The Sabbath is a beautiful weekly reminder of heaven where we will rest from our difficult and toilsome labors and live in perfect harmony and love with God and the church forever and ever, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And as we come to the Lord's table every week, it's a glorious reminder of that wedding feast that we will enjoy in heaven with Christ, our groom. God has given us this day to enjoy and meditate on his love in past, present, and future grace. And so, as we think about practical ways to keep this day, let us try to set aside worldly entertainments that would divert us from meditating on God and his word on the Lord's day. Maybe this is a day to, to turn off the screens, to stay away from uh, entertainment, um, particularly uh, Lord's Day morning and afternoon and, and evening uh, uh, until the final benediction in the, in the evening service to, to really focus on the day being bookended by Lord's Day morning and evening worship. Secondly, let us actively set aside 
ministries of piety and mercy to fill the day. Um, fellowship with church members, uh, personal reading, committing uh, personal reading to this day, um, things that will encourage your soul. Uh, maybe visiting someone in the hospital uh, or a nursing home. Make it a day where you're doing works of mercy and piety and, and even necessity when, when needed. Thirdly, cultivate your walk with God every day of the week, preparing your heart for sincere worship on the Lord's Day. And so prepare for the Lord's Day. Spiritually prepare by having personal worship, family worship. Prepare for the Lord's Day. Keep it in mind. Fourthly, prepare yourself on Saturday or early to be free from daily grind type of activities that would make your Lord's Day like any other day. Fifthly, prepare yourself with rest on Saturday night so you can engage in worship and apply the Word of God instead of being half asleep. Sixthly, use family worship to prepare for the Lord's Day, particularly with small children. It's a great opportunity to, to instruct. You may think of some other things and ways you can prepare for the Lord's Day. But the whole point is you're preparing. You're taking it seriously. You are setting it apart as holy. You are sanctifying it. God has given this to you as a gift to encourage you, to draw near to you and you to him. And what a blessing it is. Are we neglecting this grace or are we taking advantage of it? We know we never obey it as we ought. Aren't you thankful that Christ obeyed the Sabbath day perfectly his whole life and then gave his perfect life as a, an atoning sacrifice for our sins? Christ is the perfect Sabbath keeper. He did it perfectly, and we never will. But in Christ, forgiven of our sins, justified in his sight, accepted into the beloved, his sons and daughters, adopted into his family, he has given us this gift of the Sabbath. We do not obey it in order to be accepted by God. We want to obey it because we've been accepted by God and because he loves us. And we love him. And it's a part of our witness to the world. It's a part of our witness to the world around us. Christ calls us to follow him at all costs. Sometimes this means changing our hard and fast ways. And so as we evaluate our lives, is Christ the Lord of our Lord's day? Or are we the Lord of the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour, not the Lord's morning. It's the Lord's day. Why do you Christians see the Lord's day as such a burden when God has promised that to those who keep it, there will be abundant blessing? We are going to sing uh, one of my favorite hymns here in a moment, Lord of the Sabbath, hear us pray. Listen to these words. Your earthly Sabbaths, Lord, we love, but there's a nobler rest above. To that our laboring souls aspire with ardent hope and strong desire. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the Sabbath day, for instituting it at creation, for setting it forth in the Ten Commandments, for reminding us of it uh, throughout the Old Testament for Christ himself setting the record straight. 
and declaring that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man to be a blessing, and that Jesus, your Son, is Lord of the Sabbath, and He is our Lord. And, oh God, we thank You for the gift of the Sabbath day, of the, of the Lord's day, and we pray that at Christ's church, uh, we would not be about exacting rules and do's and don'ts, but focused on the blessing of Christian fellowship and making this day full of worship and piety and works of mercy and love as we seek to fill this day up as a day of discipleship and worship and growth and renewal. And may you receive all the glory as we do, as we abide in Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray.